Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here But I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Welcome, everyone, tonight. It's going to be a great show. Uh, I want to get a few things um, said. Uh, number one, I want to tell everybody about uh, the seminar that we've been talking about on methylation and bioindividualized medicine. We are now in the process of getting continuing medical education credits as well as continuing educational units. So anybody who has who has been considering coming uh, to take the class in uh, seats, there are seats, I'm sorry, seats still available. Uh, otherwise, you'll be hanging from the ceiling. Uh, you should consider it and uh, sign up rather quickly. Uh, we have a great lineup of speakers, and it's going to be a great opportunity to learn the epigenetics and methylation and how it correlates with neuroendoimmunology, mitochondrial dysfunction, and cell wall integrity. As part of our ongoing ongoing desire to empower our patients and empower our clients with good knowledge, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Mark Newman Mark is a has Master of Science and is the owner president of Precision Analytical Consulting and Laboratory. Mark is a recognized expert and international speaker in the field of hormone testing. He has assisted many laboratories in developing novel tests to create world-class laboratory testing. He's also educated thousands of providers providers including me about hormone monitoring best practices. And guys, let's face it, um, like with everything else that we do, okay, everything, all the, all the testing we're always asking about and this and that and this and that, you're always asking, what's the better test? How can I be guided by the information? Well, this is the guy to ask when it concerns almost any kind of laboratory testing. Mark, welcome. How are you, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I know you're out there. I can hear you breathing. Anyway. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> so I am... Uh, I'm I know that you developed um a new type of hormone testing. I guess I would like to ask you to let our listeners know about your background a bit. Uh they'd like to know that um that you are, you know, the expert that you say you are 
And um, then we can go into some questions that we've prepared about hormone testing itself. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, you know, professionally, I usually describe myself as an inch wide and a mile deep. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who know a lot of things about a lot of different things, and I'm sort of the antithesis of that. Um, so there are many, many topics that we can talk about that I'm entirely uh, or mostly ignorant on um, because I've spent my pretty much my entire career digging through hormone testing um, and that sort of topic. So I started off at a lab you know, doing urine testing as, you know, just days removed from grad school and that sort of a thing and um, had sort of the fortune and misfortune of being in a situation where there were really significant fundamental flaws with what we were doing. Um, and so I had an opportunity to rebuild this thing kind of from the ground up and that's kind of how I got started, um, you know, doing hormone testing. And so I've just been kind of in some in a really nice series of fortunate environments um, to get a really good look at hormone testing from every angle, you know, from uh, running a urine testing lab and a saliva testing lab and blood testing. Um, and then over the course of several years, as I've sort of been educating people on that particular topic, is is getting, quite frankly, frustrated with a lack of having... Um, a method available that was, you know, reasonably easy for people to do, so they would actually do it, um, and that's comprehensive enough, to, uh, enough and accurate enough to give us the answers that we want. Um, and so I started my own laboratory um, a few years back, and we've been just working on that ever since, fine-tuning it um, as we go, but we've been, you know, doing it for our uh, several years. I mean, I've been doing this for this specific thing for, you know, six, seven years, but just in my own lab the last couple of years and uh, and having a lot of fun with it and learning a lot and then trying to convey that to, you know, the professional community. Uh, you know, you you brought something up that I'd like to just go back and, um, and um, bring out to our audience. You mentioned, at least obliquely, that uh, uh, there are labs out there, and I know you, you shouldn't name names, but how important is it of which lab you use, um, how much human interaction is there, how much does um, what goes on in a lab um, uh, affect the accuracy of any kind of testing, especially hormone testing, but any kind of testing? You know, I, I think they're, they're kind of are two different worlds. Um, when you're talking about blood testing, for the most part, you're talking about very standardized sorts of tests um, that are not very interesting to do as laboratorians because they're all mostly, you know, automated instruments and, and methods that are fairly well established. And if you use the lab on the left and the lab on the right, you know, there are some distinctions, um, but I would call them fairly minor. Um, and then there's a lot of potential in these esoteric tests of saliva testing, but more so urine testing. And, and then, to be honest, you're kind of in the wild, wild west in terms of your dependence as an end user, your dependence on the competency of the lab. Because I've seen, you know, I've seen labs that, you know, have been doing things for a decade where half their profile literally is a random number because there's a fundamental problem with their, you know, laboratory methods. And you hope over time that those get weeded out and such. But you know, even very recently with some of the esoteric tests that I've been involved with sort of reviewing and things like that, 
um, I've seen some that are honestly just utterly embarrassing that people are able to commercialize some of this stuff. Um, and there's a, you know, the majority of labs, I think, do a pretty good job, um, but it's a, it's a work that takes, you know, a lot of expertise and a lot of intent and passion to make sure that you're doing things right if you want to venture outside of, you know, standard laboratory stuff, you know, uh, just your standard lab tests. When you get into some of this esoteric stuff, man, there's a lot of potential in the things you can look at. And, and Could I, you define what you, for us what you mean by esoteric testing? Yeah, and I, I more mean, uh, you know, the things that you're testing, yes, but also the ways that you're testing. As I said, with blood testing, um, you know, if I go get a CBC and a blood chem and, you know, your standard blood, your cholesterol, let's take cholesterol as an example. Like, I would never look at a cholesterol result and go, well, yeah, but is that really right? I mean, as a lab guy, I know it's such an easy test. It's a cheap test. It's like there's just, you know, you, you've got to really lose the lottery to get a cholesterol test that's no good. Um, but when you move on to... A lot of labs say, oh, around here lost the lottery, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, Sorry. the thing Sorry, is, if you, if you move, <laughs> that's okay. If you move on to, let's say, okay, I want to test your estrogen. Okay, now I have to stop you and say, okay... Well, what type of test are you using? You know, and who's the patient? How high do we expect their levels to be? What's the method that the lab is using? Because as as nerdy as the conversation gets, it makes like an exceptional difference as to the reliability and the confidence with which you can move forward with an action to correct the result that you find that may or may not, you know, have a lot of uh, value to it in terms of its integrity. Hmm. Well. So hormone testing is in that class of it requires expertise and it's not just a rote kind of test where you just, you know, stick the blood in or stick the saliva in, crank the handle, and out comes the answer. Yeah, so the hormone, I mean, the thing with hormone testing is, like I said, blood testing is close to being, you know, it's pretty well standardized and you can generally do pretty well with that. The thing is it's really limited. So you look at, for example, your adrenal hormones, your stress hormones, like there's just not a good, a real good, you know, panel of tests to measure in blood. You've got to go to saliva or I would prefer the urine-based model that we use to do that. Well, as soon as you take a step out of that door into the world of, as I'm calling it, esoteric testing, now, again, you're putting, you know, yourself in the hands of, well, whom and by what methods and those sorts of things. So... Um, and it really depends on the competence of who's of who's doing that testing. Sort of it uh, for us as lay people, or even as as practitioners, since we don't know the individuals, we have to depend on the lab itself. So it's the reputation of the lab and how they um, how they do their work uh, that I know for myself uh, is what I, I bank on uh, when I do certain testing. You know, I'll look at them and say, well. I know this lab, and I know how well they do their work, so I'm going to be guided by their results. Um, right. We were going to talk about, uh, we we're here, of course, about hormones. And um, I'm willing to bet that everybody's first question is going to be, why would somebody want or need to get their hormones tested? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there, there are pretty, it's a pretty broad list of things that can be related to your hormones, uh, but we're talking essentially, if you want to categorize these, we're talking about boy hormones, girl hormones, and stress hormones. So males and females both have testosterone, but testosterone is, of course, thought of as more of a male-oriented hormone. 
same with estrogen. Estrogen, of course, is you know related to females in our minds, but men have estrogen and can have too much or too little. And then stress hormones, you know, we're talking cortisol and things like that. Um, and so if any of those are too low or too high or you've got or something weird going on with that, you know, it can lead to, you know, from anything from depression and anxiety, you know, fatigue is very common, weight gain, um, you know, issues related to the female issues, menstrual cycle, emotional, you know, PMS, those types of things. Uh, there's a whole list of things that, you know, you might leave you saying, yeah, I think my hormones are out of whack. Uh, to whatever degree you maybe, you know, can tie it in your mind, there's a lot of things um, that can be related to having an imbalance of some sort with, again, either your male-oriented hormones or your female-oriented hormones or your stress hormones. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of things that could be related to that. So almost any kind of um, any kind of stress situation, any kind of... Um condition where uh you may not understand or uh it, there may be a little bit of question about uh what the origin of the symptomatology is uh testing hormones would be um at least something that you'd put into the back of your brain yeah absolutely i mean the thing is too is there's a lot of overlap when you look at symptoms so it's pretty hard to just say hey look i'm having this symptom um so, oh, well, that must be your estrogen's too high. So here, if you take this supplement or you do this certain thing, it can lower your estrogen. But, you know, th- those things can be entirely um, misleading. I just I tested a friend uh, recently who thought she was heading into that menopause transition. She said, here are my symptoms. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that makes sense. And then we tested her, and her female-oriented hormones were still perfect but her stress-related hormones, her cortisol, was just flatlined. And so that was likely the source of her problem. And if you went blindly in and said, well, gee, I must be hitting menopause, let's give this woman some estrogen, then, you know, you've just done something that's going to increase her risk for certain things that she doesn't need that, and it's not fixing the problem. So having a comprehensive way to test all those hormones you know, is a pretty good way to go when when you've got some of those types of issues. Absolutely, because um, as we've been preaching over the past, you know, I've been doing these podcasts now for almost a year, people. You know, we started out with, you know, how to defeat um, chronic illnesses and then, you know, went through every permutation we could think of. But but uh we're always we're always remembering reminding people that there is not there's an interaction between the adrenal glands the gonads and the thyroid okay through the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis and the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis so that uh, often when I'm treating a menopausal woman I am treating more the adrenals than I am the the uh female hormones themselves um, okay, so if somebody uh, has funny, like like I like to call funny feelings, or feelings they don't understand, uh, or feelings that aren't going away, and uh, the doctors aren't being very much help, uh, what kind of hormones should get tested? What hormone tests will give you kind of an overview and give you an idea in which direction you should look? Well, I think. Um you know, if you have no idea what's going on, it's always good to have, 
you know, a, your general testing not related to hormones as well. CBCs and blood chems and those types of things that you can do through your regular doctor. When you get to the hormones, then again, we want to get a good solid look at your male-oriented hormones. Again, boys and girls both. For your, your female-oriented hormones for both genders. And then your stress-oriented hormones. The, the thing that my company doesn't do that is, as you alluded to, great to add into the mix too is definitely the thyroid piece of that. So I think between your male, female stress, and thyroid hormones, that's that's a that's a pretty good base um, to cover when you're looking at a thyroid or a uh, you know a hormone related issue. And there's a lot of interplay, of course, between those systems. So it's good to work with someone who's really competent in those areas and to try to cover your bases there, so that you can figure out what's imbalanced and address it. You, uh, I think we already um, about the pros and cons of different types of tests. Um, I'm often asked um, or argued with because I do a lot of neurotransmitter testing, okay, and right. I use uh, I tend to use urinary neurotransmitters, and I forever get the I forever get the commentary they're not accurate, and I'm like, explain yourself before you die, you know? And they're like, well, it's not all CNS. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. No, sorry, <laughs> you know, you know what, Sherlock? Okay, it's peripheral and it's central, okay, but. If you took a blood test, it'd be the same thing. The only way you can get central is if you took cerebral spinal fluid, and that would be a little bit tough to do on a regular basis. You have to look at the you know, correlate the um, the clinical condition of the patient plus look at the uh, look at the um, the balance of the neurotransmitters. So, what are the pros and cons of the different types of urine tests? Serum versus saliva versus 24-hour urine? You know. What what should we look for? I mean, you know, I get confused myself when I'm saying, "Gee, what's the most accurate thing right. to help me make decisions?" Right, and it's—I mean, honestly, it's a—it's a—it's a really complex topic that uh, probably no one would want uh, me to be entirely <laughs> comprehensive on because you might be. Well, you don't have to be comprehensive. Just give us a taste. <laughs> but but um, generally speaking, um, you know, like I said, blood blood testing—the biggest advantage is that it's it's very much more standardized, okay? So uh, the reason I would go to a blood test is, for me is if I want a single hormone tested, I don't want to pay for a urine profile because they're more expensive typically because it's big, expensive equipment and you get tons of information, right? So if all I need is a testosterone, I'm getting a total and a free testosterone from blood, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. So for single tests, um, budget limited, insurance coverage, blood has got some advantages. The, the biggest hole with blood testing is, I would say there are three. Um, one is you don't get any of the metabolites. So, yes, you get testosterone, but you, it's not a great way to test dihydrotestosterone, which is a metabolite that happens to be three times as potent. So if I'm a girl and I'm having some facial hair that I don't want, Testosterone is a good measurement to have, but I would much rather have a panel that includes all the metabolites so that I can see more because I could have high testosterone, but I could also just have a metabolism profile that makes my normal testosterone basically even higher in terms of what it's actually doing. I need to see that. I can't see that very well in blood. So there's a metabolite missing piece in blood. Um, Secondly is the adrenal, is that one of the biggest pieces, and this is where saliva testing has become historically um, really favored, is I don't just want to know cortisol, I want to mm-hmm. know free cortisol. And the free hormone is easiest to measure, 
in saliva or urine, but then I also, what's very important, is the pattern of that hormone. I don't care what your estrogen is at morning versus night because there's not a relevant pattern. Okay, It's pretty steady. But your cortisol is supposed to leap up in the morning when you get out of bed, literally in the first five to ten minutes, it skyrockets, and then it comes down kind of fast, and then it starts this gradual slope the rest of the day. That's what it's supposed to do, and if it doesn't, if it's really high at night or really low in the morning or whatever, you have a problem. And you can't really assess that in blood very well at all. Then what we've shown is there's also a metabolite component to cortisol that's hugely critical. You don't get any of that in blood. So it doesn't mean blood is bad, but it's just not comprehensive enough for the adrenals, and it's it's moderately comprehensive for the sex hormones. So it's easy. It can be, again, the insurance coverage sometimes can be better. Single test, it's better, but there are some holes. With saliva testing, why that became so prominent is this whole idea that I want to test cortisol in the morning. Okay, fine, wake up and spit. I want to test it at noon, spit again, and then dinner time and bedtime. This sort of up and down, what they call a diurnal pattern or a circadian rhythm, it's really important, and that's an advantage to saliva testing. Uh, the disadvantages to saliva testing can get pretty technical, uh, but there is a legitimate advantage in measuring the pattern of cortisol. Aside from that, there's a major hole in, again, you're not getting the metabolites, which can be really valuable in a lot of cases. Uh, estrogens, some of the metabolites of estrogen can tell you a little bit about uh, you know, propensity for breast cancer risk. Some of the uh, metabolites again are important. The cortisol metabolites can be really important, but that's a, kind of a complex topic. But one of the biggest problems with saliva testing is that the sex hormones just aren't that accurate. Um, I'll give you an example. So if I measure just uh, cortisol in the morning and at night, there's a tenfold drop, right? So in the morning it's high, at night it's low. If I measure that in saliva, it's a tenfold difference. If I measure it in urine, it's also a tenfold difference, right? So it's the, either one can work to look at that pattern of high to low cortisol. When you look at estrogens, a premenopausal woman, so it's 25-year-old cycling woman is 10 times higher than a postmenopausal, you know, say a 70-year-old woman, right? If I measure that in blood, it's about a tenfold difference. If I measure it in urine, it's a tenfold difference. When I measure it in saliva, for some labs, there's no difference. For the best labs, there's about a threefold difference. So there's this loss of accuracy because the levels in saliva are so extremely low. They're 10,000 times lower than cortisol. Okay, so there's hardly any hormone there to measure, and some of the methods are better than others, but there's, for example, a very, very prominent lab in our industry that has a saliva test, and their reference range for postmenopausal women is higher than their, their range for premenopausal women, which is, I mean, you just say it out loud like it's absurd from a laboratory standpoint, and it, it has nothing to do inherently with saliva. It's just that mm-hmm. the methods they're using are not sensitive enough to pull apart and differentiate that. It, w- it would be like, you know, if I want to build a house, I can use a tape measure. Well, I can't because I'm completely useless on that front. Like I said, inch wide, mile deep. But my dad 
could build you a house with a tape measure and the rest of his tools. But if you go into an engineering place and you're building something that has tolerances that are very, very, you know, small, um, you know, micrometer kind of stuff, then a tape measure is no longer an appropriate tool. And it's the same sort of thing. Like you, you need your calipers and all these, you know, more precise instruments. And that's, I think, true of saliva testing as well, that you just don't have the type of power, if you will, to differentiate between someone who's normal and someone who's low. And that's a huge problem for saliva testing that, quite frankly, most doctors don't really have a good grasp on because this is not the type of information that, of course, labs readily lay on the table for you to examine. But it really is true. You can tell a lot just by looking at the reference ranges. And from every saliva lab, the premenopausal and the postmenopausal range like they're very similar to each other. There's a lot of overlap. So, mm-hmm. so that's a big downside to me is, and I know it gets into these long sort of conversations, or you know, but um, the accuracy for me is just not there. And that was my experience with saliva tests. Another example is the types of methods that are used create inaccuracy because of cross-reactivity. There's a there's another very prominent and different saliva lab that for years has used a test that if all you put in the test was progesterone, it would increase their cortisol test because there's a cross-reactivity. You, you measure the same exact thing at a, I don't want to say a good lab, but with a good test, and it won't happen. Right? So I've actually sent them a sample spiked to a level where the, the, the level was actually one, and I tested it in like five different labs. Everyone got a one. And then I added progesterone, and everyone got a one, except for this lab that got a 120. Right, so you've got this. I mean, if that was your if that was your patient result, you're going to run around thinking they've got this huge problem, but it's really just the 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 assay itself. And there's a there I could list a, a number of examples where if you take seven keto DHEA, it can increase your DHEA. It's not real, uh, you know, and all these other ones, uh, and that's less of a problem with the types of methods you use for urine testing. So so when I want well, something accurate. I, I would prefer, personally, a urine test that's done by a good lab because the methods that you use, the levels of hormone in urine are higher, so they're easier to measure, and then you can use methods that are just far more sophisticated in terms of not getting, I guess, fooled by other things and things like that. You get a more accurate and precise, you know, measurement that way. So, um, so that's that's not a short answer. Um, but the biggest problem with the urine test is it's usually a 24-hour urine sample, which nobody right. wants to do in the first place, right? I, you know, I, if I've got to collect on Tuesday and I work at Macy's, you know, I got to take a urine jug with me and make that walk of shame to the bathroom, you know, with my urine jug. I mean, it's just it's it's horrible in that sense. But the other piece of that is that you again have lost, as with blood testing, the pattern of cortisol. Right? Like my mother's cortisol is low in the morning and it's high at night. That's bad. But if she does a twenty four hour urine, you know, You'd if half your know. body if you half your body's in the fridge and half of it's in the freezer, you're gonna be dead. But your average body temperature might be ninety eight point six, but it doesn't matter. Right? So you, that's where saliva excels and that's why we developed the method that we developed, which is okay, <clears throat> urine has all this great information. But what do you lose? You lose the pattern of cortisol, free cortisol. Okay, but the pattern of cortisol is actually the same in, I think that was on one of the slides that I had sent you, um, 
is it's the same in urine or saliva. You just have to pick your urine samples at the right time. So now I've got this urine test that has all this rich metabolite information where I can see not just testosterone, but dihydrotestosterone, all these metabolites where if you're well-versed in this test, you can pick apart a lot more information than from a more simplified lab test. Uh, so I've got all that information, but I've also I've brought into the urine world the primary advantage of a saliva test. It's easier, and you get the cortisol pattern. So to make it really easy, we made our samples dry. Right? So you just pee on a filter paper, dry it, or you just hang it up on your towel rack or something um, with the sticker that's on the handle, and you just do this four times throughout the day, and now I've got <coughs> that you would get from a urine test or a saliva test or a serum test typically as it relates to all your, again, male, female, and stress hormones, but it's, you know, it's easy to do. So that's kind of the, the concept that we've used is is been frustrated with the limitations of some of those tests and tried to create, um, and successfully did, a, a kind of a hybrid of those uh, to give better information. So you call this test the Dutch testing model. So, yeah, DUTCH is just an acronym, uh, so Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. So, again, the, the, the collection is an easy little dipstick, so um, the urine is collected on a filter paper card, and then it dries for a day, and then it just goes in a regular envelope back to the lab. So it's a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones because it really is, you know, a more comprehensive way to look at all these hormones. And... You, you talked about the advantages of this type of hormone testing and its accuracy. Um, I it, it occurs to me that uh, there are a lot of people on various types of hormone replacement therapy. So um, if somebody's on hormones already, what tests can or should be used? Um, that could be a whole show in and of itself, that's for sure. Um, this is an area where... Um, you know, I'm going through menopause and I'm taking estrogen. I'm, you know, my testosterone's flipping, so I'm taking testosterone. So, um, you know, I've talked about the advantages and disadvantages of different tests, but if you do them well, um, you know, there's a reasonable correlation between the different tests. You know, if I test my six-year-old daughter and my premenopausal wife and a pregnant lady, I'm going to get a low a normal and a high or thereabouts in serum and in saliva and in urine. And yes, you can talk about the nuanced improvements there, or, you know, from one test versus the other. But when you start throwing hormone replacement in there, you kind of have to start the conversation all over uh, because it gets really complex depending on how you take the hormones. So if I'm able to increase my hormones naturally, um, you know, like for a guy, if your testes stop making testosterone, you can take like HCG. HCG is an analog of the hormone that your brain makes to tell your testes to make testosterone. So if I take HCG injections, my testes will go, whoa, time to make testosterone, and the testosterone will go up in, let's say, a natural way. If I, I should be able, if the lab's any good, I should be able to see and track that increase in serum, in saliva, and in urine testing. But if instead I say, nah, I'm going to take testosterone, now it depends. Because if you use an, an injection, most things work. But if you use a gel or a cream or, 
uh, some of these other sublingual hormones, um, then, you know, it really depends. And that that's something that I've spent a lot of time, that's probably, I've probably spent as much time on that topic as anyone I know. Um, and when I lecture to doctors, that's probably the number one topic that I'm usually talking about because, A, it's not something that they're naturally educated on. They depend on the labs to do that, really. Um, and us labs are not very good at acknowledging and admitting that for some situations, every, every lab test has a weakness when it comes to HRT. And so you have to um, really work your way through the question. What is the hormone? What is the route of administration? And then you have to know. And that's what we've put together. Is I've, I've got on, on our website at precisionhormones.com, I've got this little testing matrix. And so it's this, this grid, essentially, of you know serum, saliva, urine, and then our Dutch test. And then it goes through every permutation. What if I take hormones you know, vaginally or injections or pellets or patches and all these sorts of things? Um, okay, wh what works and what doesn't work? And it depends. It really highly depends on how you're taking your hormones as to, you know, what's going to work. And so what we've done is put together short little videos for each one of those scenarios, and that testing matrix is then hyperlinked to all those. So you can say, okay, if I'm taking oral progesterone, that's a really good example. It's a really common thing. I hit menopause. I don't make progesterone, and I'm not sleeping well. Well, guess what? Oral progesterone really helps you sleep because when you take it orally, your gut makes all these metabolites. And one of those is allopregnanolone, and allopregnanolone is great for knocking you out. So people take oral progesterone. And then a lot of times they go test in serum, and it doesn't work at all. You get a number, but it has nothing to do with any clinically relevant thing because of issues that are somewhat complex and probably not that interesting, but it doesn't work. So watch the video if you want to know. But, um, you know, there are, there are so a lot you, have, of you have videos on your website that explain a lot of things. When it comes to HRT, yeah, I think it's the best source of, you know, I own a lab. I'm trying to sell lab testing, but honestly, like, it's really important to us to be as transparent about the limitations of every test, including our own. If you take a sublingual hormone and you put it under your tongue, urine testing doesn't work that great. We want people to know that. There are ways you can lessen how bad it is, if you will, but it's not perfect. Um, that's a particular scenario where there is not a good lab test. There really isn't because if you put it under your tongue and you take it, your blood levels will go up and down so fast. I mean, they'll scream up in five minutes and they'll come screaming back down over just an hour or two. Well, when are you going to test? Like you either have this really volatile, fast-moving number or the hormone's already gone. None of those values are relevant. If you test in saliva, you just put billions of t a billion times more hormone in your mouth than what comes out of your saliva. It's contaminated. It's useless. It doesn't work. With urine testing, if you swallow any of it, which most people do, then it really clouds the picture. There's not a good answer for that particular scenario. So there's some useful information that can come from lab testing, especially urine testing with the metabolites and such, but there are some scenarios where there's not a great answer and there's not a lot of people, to be honest with you, out there saying that. And so people are always trying to find, you make everything work for every scenario and you just end up with a lot of times where you would have just been better off not testing if you don't know how to do it right for a particular scenario. Our listeners are, um, are usually very highly medically sophisticated individuals. 
which is why I mention this because often uh, they'll do the research and go to their healthcare providers and uh, educate them. Okay, and um, healthcare providers often don't know um, a quarter of what you said. And uh, so the website that they should go to to watch these videos is precisionhormones.com. Yeah, there's a, there's a video library right on there. If you select the video library, you can kind of flip through it. So there's a there's a short one on just comparing sex hormone testing. So look at that. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I explained, I can kind of break it down with pictures. Um, adrenal hormones. Why why is this model that we're using like beneficial? It really is. We'll show you some case studies. Um, and then the HRT questions are vast, and so we break them down into different categories. Oral progesterone has its own category. Oral estrogens have their own category. Vaginal hormones, you know, uh, patches, injections, all those sorts of things. Have uh, transdermal hormones is another horribly confusing one um, that you know people need to pay attention to if they're going to make good decisions with those. And that's what the benefit in, in empowering our listeners is to let them go to places where they know they can get good information and help um, understand and take charge of their own health by being able to look at a lab test and have a general idea of what's going on and what can affect it. Uh, we we spoke a little bit about um, having um, having the need for a healthcare provider involved in uh, the interpretation of the lab tests. How important is that? Um, I mean, it's possible that you can be educated yourself, Um and it depends on the test, you know. It doesn't take that long to flip through the literature and figure out what a reasonable vitamin D level is. And you're going to have a difference of philosophical approaches across the medical spectrum. And so, you know, to me, that's a reasonable test to go, okay, I got this. You know, I, I think uh, this guy over here who's a little bit nutty wants me at 80, and this guy over here is hyper-conventional and wants me at 21, and I've looked at the literature and all this stuff, and I'd like to be between 40 and 60. I mean, I can, you know, th- that's reasonable. When you get to the, the sex hormones and the adrenals, it's pretty challenging, um, to be honest with you. We spend a lot of time educating doctors on this stuff that should have a reasonable foundation to build off of, and it's complex. And to be honest with you, some of them never really, you know, um, get there, um, but, you know, most do. And so for a lay person, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, as a guy, if my estrogen's high, I can snoop around and figure out what that means a little bit, right, um, and what you might do about it. But when you get into some of these complexities of, okay, my free cortisol is this, but my metabolites are that, and then my DHEA is this, um, you know, I want to work with someone who really knows stuff. Um, and so that would be my preference is, you know, some of the answers uh, you know, take prescriptions anyway. So um, I would definitely encourage people to, you know, you can get information uh, on your own and such, but, you know, when you've got a complex case and things going on, I think it's much better to work with a healthcare provider. Oh, that was well said. That was well said. Um, just for anybody who needs to know, anybody who has a question can call 646 595 2277. That's 646-595-2277. Also, the chat room is open. Uh, I see several people in here. If you have questions, please go ahead and start typing. I'll, I'll transfer them to Mark. 
so he can answer them. Um, and there have been a couple of people have been sitting here. I don't know if they're just listening. Let me check, okay? Hi, a nice person in the 519 area code. Are you, are you just listening or you were waiting to ask a question? Just listening. Thanks a lot. Oh, no problem. Oh, the nice person in the 408, whoops. Nice person in the 408 area code. Are you just listening or you were waiting to ask a question? Listening. Okay. Mark, I guess a lot of people are listening tonight. You know, that's always a good thing. Um, so, uh, you've made it very clear that the type of testing that uh, that you've uh, come up with is is very accurate. Okay, has um, I've seen the testing myself. I'm still in the learning curve of it, and um, I'm quite impressed by it, quite frankly, especially the way that you have it. Um, you have it uh, documented out. I can actually follow. It's like following a roadmap, you know. And uh, but how does someone go about getting tested? Uh, you know, the preferable way is to go through a provider. The challenging thing is we're new enough on the scene that you know if they're working through someone like yourself, it's easy to get tested through a doctor. Um, if you go to our website, you can buy the test. And what we do is, you know, based on my, you know, most recent rambling that I made about, you know, working with a provider, I really believe that about this test, that it's, it's at some level irresponsible for us to just put it in the hands of a lay person and let them go. Um, and so what we do is we sell it on our website, and, that, and then it includes a, a short consultation with a really well-educated doctor. Uh, who uses this test in her practice every day. Um, and so that really helps you to at least figure out, okay, what are the issues that I'm going to go and address based on these results? So you can go to our website, uh, precisionhormones.com, click on Get Tested, and you can get yourself a test kit. You know, they're really, it's a dried urine test, right? So everything's small. It's a little envelope that we'd ship to uh, you, and then you complete the samples. They go back in a little return mailer that we've got there, and it goes right in the regular postage and back to us. Uh, so that's relatively simple. A couple weeks later, you've got results. Um, but again, if you're working with a doctor um, that's competent in these areas, the area of hormones, um, you know, that's, that's an important thing, you know, to at some level, at some point in the process to try to loop somebody in there that can, uh, that can help you out. Well, I like the fact that you have provisions uh, for people to get uh, the testing and have a consultation with someone who's very well experienced, I've been trying to um, kind of do that in the in the uh, genetic realm, uh, but it's sort of like pulling teeth, <laughs> you know. I uh, started right. to sell, sell a test that includes a consultation uh, because uh, too many too many people are taking the um, genetic testing, looking at the genes, uh, reading. One one of a number of authors, or researching it themselves, and quite frankly, getting themselves quite frightened. And um, hormones, and um, you know, are just is like the next vista where you can get really, really confused, especially the relationship between the sex hormones, adrenals, and thyroid. Um, a lot of times, they all yield uh, the same same set of symptoms, or at least are involved. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that um, that you have that available to people. Uh, I know that Sean and I do an awful lot of this testing, Sean especially, 
because uh, he's forever handing me these things saying, Jess, can you uh, mail these out? I'm like, uh, <clears throat> mailing costs money. <laughs> it's like, he'll hand me like a half a dozen. And I'm like, yeah. And he's and he's like, Sean's very cool. You know, he's like, on the one side, you have the part of the envelope where you write the address and so forth. He writes the address on the other side and said, hands it me, could you send this out? I'm like, I have to rewrite it on the front. You know, it's like, Sean, give me a break here, you know. <laughs> I, he does it. I mean, I, I think he does it too, you know, just to see if I can get he, – he can get my ire up, and he, he does a pretty good job, you know. But that's besides the point, because I love him, you know. <laughs> um, you've explained why um, that it's a little complex when somebody's on hormones, uh, and uh, it's very important, especially like with the cortisol, to get um, four different readings throughout the day, okay, which tells you exactly what the adrenal medulla is doing. Right. Uh, I would also I would also add that. One could uh, utilize neurotransmitter testing on the other end to see what the adrenal, I'm sorry, the adrenal cortex, what the adrenal medulla is doing. Um, I tend to use them both and uh, correlate them and um, tells me an awful lot about what the adrenals are doing, what stage of exhaustion or fatigue that they're in. Right. And kind of what to do about it. Um, I appreciate very much the fact uh, what I'm hearing from you is that um, you've made very, very sure that the testing within your lab is very, very, very accurate so that the results that we're looking at can be trusted as being accurate reflection of what's going on in that person's physiology. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's important. I was just going to say, I think it's important that you're accurate. You think the one thing is the nice added benefit of urine testing is that every class of hormones has multiple things in it. You know, when you're talking about serum or saliva, you're usually just dealing with, for example, estradiol, the main estrogen, whereas mm-hmm. in the urine test, I've got eight estrogens to sort of, if you will, confirm the story. Ah, yes, you're deficient. Ah, you are high, you're normal, whatever. Um, or, you know, maybe it's not quite as high as that one particular marker looks. Uh, so I think that's a nice benefit of just the the breadth of information you get from urine test. I was looking at a test um, for one of my patients, and as we went past a certain point, uh, everything was okay, and then everything bottomed out. I'm trying to find it here sitting next to me, uh, which I thought was an um, indicator of what certain enzymes were doing. Could you, uh, would, would we able, be able to make that kind of assessment uh, based on looking in between um, the transition from one? Oh, sure. To the yeah, that's, a big, that's a big piece of urine testing that, that's nice, and it dovetails into the topic you talked about, which is genetics. Um, so an example is uh, that would be very a common one that you'll interact with is methylation. You know, methylation is really mm-hmm. important for DNA. It's really important for catecholamines. Uh, your neurotransmitters, and it's really important for estrogens. The reason that it's important for estrogens is because you make some estrogen metabolites that are not very friendly, and they can damage your DNA and actually rip a piece of your DNA off. Um, just before it does that, it reaches this state that is very reactive. And if you go back one step before that, you can get rid of that bad estrogen with methylation. So you get the estrogen, you methylate. The estrogen, you methylate. If you don't methylate, now it's free to wreak havoc, if you will, and it probably increases your risk for things like breast cancer, prostate cancer, what have you. So what we can do is we can look at the product of the methylate 
methylation and the product prior to methylation, and we can see on a functional level, are you good at this step that is so important across your body? And when you're not, uh, there are consequences. And when you're not, there are things you can do nutritionally to help that, and you can also pair that with, for example, MTHFR test, which is genetic testing that says, oh, wow, you've actually got a break in your DNA you know, from your mom that makes you not very good at this. Thank goodness dad gave you a good one, you know. And then you find people who have bad, broken genes from both sides, and they really stink at methylation, and there are a lot of body-wide consequences to that. So that's just an example of you look at the, you know, this ratio of these hormones as they're heading down a cascade, so to speak, and you can really see where there's an abnormality, um, which sometimes can be genetic, Sometimes it can be nutrition, nutrient deficiency, that sort of a thing. Um, and there are oftentimes consequences to this, and, and thankfully you can intervene, you know, sometimes in ways that, that aren't that uh, invasive. I'm going to ask you a question real specific because this is one of the ones that confused me. <clears throat> I'm looking at um, a patient, of course I won't mention her name. I'm looking at the pregnenolone pathway. And uh, as the pregnenolone passes DHEA, um, DHEAs were high on the other side. The progesterone was normal. As soon as we pass the DHEA, everything looks like it bottoms out, Um, like everything bottoms out. From there, everywhere. Just goes, you know. And... um, that is an enzyme problem, I would gather. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's important to, to, to realize is that, you know, a lot of times you look at this flow chart of, of hormones and it looks kind of like a family tree or, you know, uh, different tributaries to a river, so to speak, and you can, you can watch as this goes. Um, but it's also important to remember that a, a lot of those hormones are made in like a, a target tissue, let's take your testes. Your testes make testosterone not from the things right upstream from testosterone. They go all the way back up to cholesterol, pull cholesterol in the cell, and then convert it, step one, two, three, along the way, which is pregnenolone, DHEA, and, and on through. Um, and, and a lot of times there's this, there can be this, con, this uh, misconception that, you know, you, you make pregnenolone and it circulates through your body and then at some point it turns into progesterone, which circulates in your body, which at some point turns into DHEA, which circulates, and then at some point turns into testosterone. There's a little bit of that that goes on, but mostly it's, um, you know, there's an organ, your ovaries make most of the estrogen for a woman while she's premenopausal. The testosterone in a guy is mostly made from the testes, of course. Right. And DHEA is right above that. But most of the DHEA is made in your adrenal gland, of course. So uh, you get different patterns. And, yeah, you can look at those to see, you know, if there might be, A, an issue with a particular organ making hormone and pulling its weight. Um, But then also there can be, you know, issues with specific enzymes. DHEA is a good example of... Uh, if you take the opposite pattern, let's say your DHEAS that we measure is low, mm-hmm. okay? You assume, oh, you have low DHEAS. Uh, you could measure that in saliva. You could measure that in serum. You could measure that in urine. The reason I like urine is because then DHEA doesn't just go to this sulfate. It goes downstream to these two other metabolites that are huge. There's a ton of them. Well, one of the things, like if you have a lot of inflammation, 
inflammation blocks sulfation. So DHEA can't turn into DHEAS, but it can mm-hmm. go to those metabolites. So you can have this situation where a metabolite's low, and if that's the only thing you measure, you just assume, oh, okay, I don't have very much of this hormone. But in that particular example, it's a specific pathway that's blocked by, in this case, specific thing, inflammation, which you can address. And if you have the rest of the picture, so to speak, you can piece it together as a provider much better than if you only have a single variable, you know, as you do in some of these other tests. I mean, they're, they're reasonable tests, but having more comprehensive, you know, looks at these things is, is much better. I, I, I can see, because in, in particular one I'm looking at now, where I see the pregnenolone go to DHEA and then go to DHEAS, that was normal. The pregnenolone where it went to progesterone was normal, but she's on progesterone. But as soon as we pass DHEA, the testosterone is extremely low. All of the estrogen metabolites are, are extremely low, and uh, all the male hormone metabolites are extremely low. So, including uh, including the EDO, colanolone, and androsterone, those two? I'll say it again. Yep, the yep, EDO, colanolone, right. and androsterone exactly, are the ones both. Yeah, yeah both. you can hardly pronounce them, but they're actually uh, you know pretty important. So, um, both of them yeah. are low, and the and the testosterones, um, the five beta andro standiol, uh that one's right. a little is on the lower side, but the five alpha is below below. Right, and so everything else is like, did, go ahead. Yeah, I just I mean, I think the approach with a lot of these is to take each of those categories, you know, all those male-oriented hormones, and you're looking at the overall picture of, you know, what reflects my hormone levels of DHEA. You've got several markers, and then also testosterone, again, several markers, and then all the estrogens uh, as well. And there's, um, you know, that's, I think, the best way to get a clear picture, you know, of what's going on. So in a case like this, it sounds like overall, you know, the patient is pretty darn low for all of those hormones. So if she's postmenopausal and her adrenals aren't working right, you know, that would make a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, they can be fairly complex, though. Yeah, I can see that because her methylation activity is really, really high. But her methylation, well, if I'm reading it right, uh, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow and go over this one. <laughs> this looks like it's gonna get it's gonna get nutty. Okay, well guys, um I see everybody out there. Um anybody have any questions? I mean I, I can hear you breathing out there, I can smell the wood burden burning, and this is the opportunity to ask a real expert on hormonal testing. So you should take advantage of it and either call or call or type up something, uh type into the chat room so the number is yet again Six four six five nine five two two seven seven. That's six four six five nine five two two seven seven. Or we're on the chat room, so go ahead and ask questions. Um, you might not get an opportunity like this for quite a while. Okay, I'll suck. Anyway, while they're dialing numbers and and fighting to get in, Mark, <coughs> if somebody <laughs> wanted to. Um, Take advantage of your testing, um, and I'm really happy to have somebody that will, you know, uh, that you can refer them to or it becomes a package. How would they get in touch with you? How would they get in touch um, to consider this testing, to look at uh, all the videos and so forth? 
Um, I mean, the easiest way is just to go to the website, precisionhormones.com. You can you can send some contact to us through the website. Just you know, contact us or whatever. Um, and that's a good way to get questions a- answered as far as you know different things that you might have questions on whether it's relevant for you or not at a particular state or when to test or you know those sorts of things. Um, so that's pretty much the easiest way. And again, I've got the, the video library kind of has all these mm-hmm. topics so categorized. There aren't that many. Um, but you can find the things that will answer the questions that you might have. Actually, um, I, found, I found it quite educational. So as a healthcare provider, I was sitting there going, all right, I'm reading this test, but let me go through all these videos. And you made it easy. So this is a good place for the uh, for the healthcare providers to go to gain a level of understanding and expertise, yes? Yeah, I mean, we don't make our approach to this whole thing. I mean, we try not to make it too sales pitchy and commercial. I mean, it really is. Um, a passion of mine and of ours mm. to educate doctors first. Um, and you know what? Sometimes the best way to do that is to educate the patients and drive them in that direction. And that sort not of grab- even a question. You know, and, and, it's, really- and it's real. It's real obvious that you're not. You know, you're not a marketer. Okay, and I, I mean that. Well, better I mean or worse. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean that with respect because, you know, I can see the. Um, the amount of um, effort that has gone into uh, making sure that the testing is pristine. I actually have a question person here. Okay. <laughs> nice person with the 727 area code. You're on the air. Hello. Hi. Uh, hi. Hi. So I have a question about this type of testing. Um, sure. In terms of how much data is there as to what are normal levels in urine for people, especially women at various stages of life, for the major hormones and for the metabolites? Yeah, so I mean, that's uh, because our method is unique, and this should be true of any test like this, you know, it's a lab's job to go out and get, you know, otherwise healthy people and test them at different, you know, different stages uh, of life. So a group of premenopausal women that are cycling, okay, what do they look like? And then I want to know what you look like relative to them. And then same thing with a postmenopausal woman, okay, what do you what do you look like and what does that population look like? And and that's the the idea of the lab test is for all of these hormones to drop you into the population and say where are you? Um, and so if you're on the lower side for estrogen and you've got a lot of symptoms related to lower estrogen, that's definitely something to pursue, uh, you know, and so on and so forth for all of the different hormones. But, yeah, we test a cohort of normal people in in these different demographics, any demographics we want to test. For example, kids. This would be a great test for kids, but guess what? I don't have normal ranges for kids yet, so so we don't do it, but for pretty much everyone else, we're good. Uh, Okay. Well, I know one thing I've been told about blood tests is that it's just the average of the last 10,000 sick people. So in terms of you determining who's normal, how do you know that? Because you know, we, don't use pa- we don't use patient data for that except in um, situations where it actually makes sense. I mean, we went out and got, you know, a cohort of women who are cycling who don't have symptoms of estrogen deficiency and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, and and we use that, which is pretty standard practice, but some labs do do that, and I think, to be honest with you, your complaint is perfectly valid. Like, I don't care what my vitamin D level is relative to people that are my peer group because guess what? They live in Oregon, 
and the sun doesn't shine here, and I don't care what my neighbor's level is. I care what the epidemiological research says that, you know, where do my risk, where does my risk profile start to drop off for certain things? That's what I'm shooting for. I don't care what my peers look like when it comes to that. When it comes to hormones, it's a little bit different. Vitamin D is kind of a different beast, so maybe it's a bad example. Um, but, yeah, you've got to look at healthy people. And, you know, testosterone's one where if you only look at people coming to doctors and they tend to be older, then, yeah, your range is going to be, you know, screwy. Um, so you've definitely got to do your due diligence. And, you know, labs take different approaches to those things. I honestly, I've seen labs that take their their reference ranges from other labs, and then they use different methods. So their their numbers don't even line up, and so it becomes mm-hmm. like this arbit- I mean, it's ridiculous. So, you know, it's uh, you know, it can depend on the lab's sort of approach uh, to that for sure. Yes, and it's it's very refreshing to me to hear you as you spoke about in the beginning about the differences between the labs and the testing methods and how certain types of tests are not valid for certain hormones because you don't hear that generally, you know. Every lab says what they do is valid, and that hasn't been my personal experience anyway. Yeah, it's so. it's, it's an important topic, and it's, it's, it's kind of one of those where you can't make broad sweeping statements except that there are issues to be resolved um, because it depends on the hormone. It dep- you know, so each lab really... You know, it's their job to really dig through that stuff. And those are the labs I want to work with is the labs that are passionate about digging through those issues and figuring out, you know, better solutions where there are cracks in their armor, so to speak. Oh, good, good. All right. Well, thank you very much. Good. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Sure. Hi, this is Dr. Online. You're on the air. Are you there? Hello. It's a person with the looks like it's a Skype thing. One one one. Okay. Maybe they'll call back in. And Mark, you're an absolute wealth of information. You know that. Oh, thank this you. Is, like I said, inch wide, mile deep. So give me another topic. <laughs> I'm and I have inch- little <laughs> you're a good man. You're a good man. I like it. I like it. The thing that that impressed me about you the most is I, as I researched your um, your company and I got to know you a little bit better, and um, was the um, was the uh, amount of work and amount of uh, passion you put into doing this correctly, which is makes you a uh, you know a brother under the skin with us because you know we've been working very very hard to help heal people. And part of that is getting testing that we can trust and testing that is accurate, you know, because um, we know the difficulties in, um, you know, and um, any kind of diagnosis, okay, especially if you're if you're dependent uh, on certain aspects of lab testing, you know, and, and to be able to uh, follow along your uh, your treatment protocols and have, um, you know, have good feedback. You know, so you know that what you're doing is right or wrong or whatever. So does anyone else out there have a question? Before we sign off, it's been an hour, and um, I'd like anybody to have their opportunity to ask Mark Newman um, a question about hormone testing. And um, come on, I know you're out there. 646-595-2277. Okay. Well, I'll give it another half minute. Uh, so, 
PrecisionHormones.com. This is where they can uh, learn. Oh, so wait a second. Somebody else just popped in. There they are. Okay. Hi, you're on the air. This is Dr. Armand. Hi, Dr. Armand. It's Kathy from New Jersey. Hi, How Kathy. Are you? Good. I have question a, a question about the hormone Mark. testing. Pardon? Go ahead, please. Hi, Mark. Hello. A question I have for you. Um, my name is Kathy. I live in New Jersey. Yeah. And I flew over to Brussels about five years ago, maybe longer, and saw Dr. Thurry Hertog. I was thinking you were going to Hertog when you said Brussels. <laughs> Great guy. Very interesting. Um, and I also went to a couple of functional medicine doctors here in the United States. Yep. Uh, some do the saliva test. Some tell me the blood is inaccurate. What, what is your theory on it all? So that when people say blood testing is inaccurate, um, uh-huh. it's a really oversimplified statement. And what I think they mean, and I don't think some of them even understand what they mean when they say that, mm-hmm. is with hormone replacement therapy, sometimes serum is not a great solution because it doesn't work great for some HRT scenarios. That's, I think, the adrenal hormones mm-hmm. and the HRT monitoring, there can be some weaknesses there. Um so that's, that's I think, an issue. Um, so with a lot of them will do saliva testing. There's this really, you know, we don't have half an hour to get into it, but there's this right. really weird scenario. When you take hormone creams on your skin, okay, if I uh-huh. take, let's say, uh, 50 milligrams of transdermal on your skin progesterone, mm-hmm. your serum values do not typically move. Mm-hmm. Your urine values typically do not move much. And your saliva levels will go crazy. They'll go through the roof. And so that's been one of the things that's given this mystical sort of quality to saliva testing. And to be honest with you, if we were having this call three years ago, four years ago, I would have been on that bandwagon to say, look, if I give a hormone and it goes up here and not over here, I'm going to go this way because that Mm -hmm. makes sense. It must be the value that matters, and then you get into these arguments of how, well, it's free hormone, and that's why it increased. Right. It's, honestly, I've studied that issue more than anyone I know, and the truth of the matter is I don't think any of it works. Saliva okay. testing, is a, is an, to me, it's an arbitrary big number because what we studied the last place I was at when I was almost done there, which was definitive for me and completely, completely changed my opinion on this is that we tested people and yes the serum values didn't go up and the saliva values did but when we tested them two days in a row with all things being equal the most common scenario was a difference of fivefold and tenfold was just as common as getting a similar value with repeat testing so you'll notice the name of my lab is precision analytical and precision means you know to get the same value multiple right. times and if you don't have that you have nothing so if there there are so many issues with this whole argument of transdermal hormones and saliva testing and it leaves this whole world of saliva testers that say the rest of you are crazy and you have to do it this way and then this whole the rest of the world that says, no, 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 those guys are crazy. You have to do it this way. And to be honest, my position is, I think, an ex- is a small minority. But if, as I look at the data, the honest answer, especially with, like, progesterone, 
is none of it really works very well, and you have to lean on symptoms and mm-hmm. research and things mm-hmm. like that. In some cases, the labs don't help you adjust your dose. But that's, to me, where the mystique of saliva has come from, and I used to buy into that argument. And when I was really critical with it, the argument fell apart. The problem is when the argument falls apart, the doctor is looking for the answer. So they'll run to serum, they'll run to urine, and nobody usually goes into it saying, now hold on, there could be a scenario, as I explained with sublingual hormones, where nothing works. And so those scenarios, it doesn't mean you don't do it, but it means you better not lean very heavily on the labs, and that's what you have, is you have a whole history of people who lean very heavily on the labs, and they don't realize how broken their model is and as people, and that's one of the things I really educate on, and I try to do it gently because, you know, you can step on some toes and there's a whole lot of market share to be lost mm-hmm. in people realizing that there are scenarios where lab testing doesn't actually help very much. And right. so, you know, oh. it's this... You're you know, afraid of stepping on toes. I step on toes all the time that way. <laughs> uh, but, of course, I'm used to being shot at. <laughs> what's interesting is that every time I did saliva testing, my cortisol levels were on the floor. And when they, I had a blood, um, an a.m. and a, a morning and an afternoon at 3 p.m. one done in blood, and that was kind of low. It wasn't low in the low range, but trust me, it was at the bottom of the level. You know, when they put me on something for my adrenals, boom, I turned around. You right. know? And it, 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 See, and you can find cases like this. The pro- the problem is, and this is actually the specific topic that led me to this test, and we haven't gotten into it, but it's huge, is I can show you the results of somebody whose salivary cortisol are almost zero. And mm-hmm. you tell the story, the story you would tell yourself is, oh, my goodness, you don't make any cortisol. And the mm-hmm. reason I want to test that in urine is because I'm going to get the same result. But. I'm going to look at the metabolites of cortisol right. and show you people where the metabolites are low. And then I tell you, your story is correct. And then right. I can he did mine in urine, by the way. He did a 24-hour urine when I went over to Brussels. Right. But when I well, came to the United States, everybody was doing me in saliva. Yeah, see, Terry knows what he's doing. I actually just talked to him a couple of weeks ago and introduced him to this model, which he thought was really, like a, I think, a strong model. I'd love to chat with him more about it. But the problem is you will find people who have very low cortisol in saliva and in urine, but the metabolites are crazy high. So when you say they don't make cortisol, you're entirely wrong. If you're hyperthyroid, for example, you will burn through cortisol faster than other people. I can show you the results of somebody whose thyroid is very high. Their free cortisol in saliva or urine is very, very low, but they make more cortisol than 99% of the population. And this is why I prefer this model is because I get to look at a three-dimensional picture, whereas in a typical 24-hour urine, I'm looking at two dimensions. In saliva, I'm looking at two different dimensions, one Mm -hmm. of them the same, one of them different, but there are three, and that's why we built this the way we did is to say, look, I want to know that cortisol pattern but you better know the downstream stuff that ends up in the bucket at the end of the day. Right. It's, it's both of them are relevant pieces of information. When they tell the same story, it didn't matter which test you did. But when they contradict, you have to scratch your head and think your way through it. And when they contradict, which is often, if you're doing a different test, you can be dramatically misled. So that's that's a topic where 
Um, yeah, Terry's a really smart guy. Uh, let me tell you something. He taught me so much. But I will tell you one thing. You know, when you do a cortisol testing here by saliva, you know, you're done at 10 o'clock or 8 to 10 or whatever that last one is. You're not getting the person's cortisol for the night. That's why I think the 24-hour urine is probably the best. Well, you're, Steve, you're 20- seeing what happens through the whole period of time. Yes, but you're missing the pattern. That's why we do what we do, because we give you essentially the whole day, but we also give you the pattern so that if you're making more of your cortisol at one time than you're supposed to and less uh-huh. at another time than you're supposed to, that's the whole pa- That's the whole purpose of that. Of the test, I yeah. Can, I can look at your cortisol specifically overnight, specifically in the morning, specifically uh-huh. in the afternoon, and specifically at bedtime, and that is rich information that you yeah. lose and a 24-hour urine, and that's exactly why we designed this thing the way we did. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Well, I'm I telling think- you something. It's always it's always good to listen to people banter back and forth. Yeah. Kathy, you always, ask, you always ask good questions, kid. I appreciate <laughs> Those it. Those are excellent uh, questions. Hey, take okay, care, right? Stick with Dr. Uh-huh. Earth Dog. He knows his stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> take care. Bye-bye. All right, guys, it's getting kind of late. Um, I don't see anybody else here. I just want to thank uh, Mark Newman for uh, joining us tonight and uh, sharing his uh, uh, obviously vast knowledge and passion for hormone testing and uh, answering our questions. Again, if you'd like to get in touch with him, it's precisionhormones.com. You can also direct your um, healthcare providers to uh to that website to uh start learning uh via the videos the videos are very good i've watched them myself uh the testing itself is is rather um impressive uh, i'm still learning about it and um but it does have all the metabolites and gives you a very very complete view of your entire hormonal structure with the exception of the thyroid thyroid like you said uh but a lot more than i expected when i uh did my first couple of tests Mark, is there anything, any parting words that you would like to uh, give to our audience? No, I'm uh, just happy to be here and, and uh, contribute to the conversation. So we're happy to work with anyone that's looking for information or, uh, you know, on this sort of topic. So, Thank you so much. Uh, everybody, remember to, to look at mabim.org uh, for more information about the uh, seminar. Uh, we are getting um, continuing education uh, credits and continuing medical education credits, uh, which is important uh, for nurses and physicians and so forth. And uh, it promises to be an excellent seminar because, um, let's face it, we're working our tuchuses off at it, okay? And we want to make sure that people who walk out of there can use that information right on Monday morning. So I appreciate your attention. I'm glad that you're all here. And uh, we're going to have even a more interesting show next week. And I look forward to seeing you then. Everyone have a good night. It's been a long road Getting from there It's been a long time But my time is finally And I can feel the change in the world right now Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold it down no more No, I'm not gonna hold it down Just remember everybody Having a chronic illness Does not mean it's permanent For the most part 
because you've been misdiagnosed or mishandled. Okay, the reason we bring you this information is so that you have ammunition and you have power and you have understanding. Because as Madame Curie always said, nothing in life should be feared but merely understood. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Because we believe that you have this strong you have this strength of the heart and that you can heal. Everybody have a great weekend. Great weekend. Great week. <laughs> Take care.